Welcome to the Tri-Valley Parenting Podcast. We exist to educate and empower parents of teenagers so that families can thrive. Here's your host, Anthony McLeod. All right, well, welcome to episode number five. And today we are going to be jumping into the very scary topic of communicating with our teenagers who oftentimes feel like they are uh, aliens from another planet and we're trying to communicate with them. What's that movie that we just saw, Laura, that we, do you remember that movie where the girl, she was communicating with the aliens? Stranger Things? I have no no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) No, not Stranger Things. You know what I'm talking about. No. Oh, it's the one, um, oh, it's a great movie. Guardians of the Galaxy? No, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. Guardians of the Galaxy. Not Space Jam. That was a great one from the 90s. But uh, no, this was a recent one. Remember? And she goes, she's the linguist, and she's talking to the aliens. She's trying to, do you oh. remember? See, now you know. You're looking at it's me like I'm crazy. a current movie with Amy Adams. Yeah. I don't It's know. a good one. Look it up. Look up Amy Adams movies. Uh, but hey, uh, we're here, and we're going to help you talk to your, your little aliens. Um, and school is here, and so naturally with school comes a lot more stress for students because they're not staying at home um, eating frosted mini-wheats all day. They're actually at school having to put time in, do papers and all that. And and so we've already seen an increase in the stress levels in our students that have been in our youth group. And so we can see it all over them. And with that stress comes defiance, comes conflict. It's inevitable. And so today um, we wanted to just talk about conflict in the house and how to work through it. And I think as all married couples, we all deal with conflict with each other. And and I have kind of a theory that maybe God has us as married couples go through so much conflict because he knows that when we have children, we're going to have to use those skills to navigate conversations with them. So there's a few things that we want to bring up today, but we're going to start with this. We're going to talk about our childhoods and how we viewed conflict when it came to our house and our families. And I know for me, conflict was was very difficult. Like whenever my parents would have conflict, to be honest with you, it scared me. I was scared of conflict. And I think a lot of kids have that experience. And Laura, I think you, you had talked about how you kind of had a similar experience growing up. Um, could you tell me like your perspective on that? Yeah, well, um, my parents actually had a really good relationship and I can only remember one time where they had a very, very small fight, but I remember it being, I think it was before a trip or before we were leaving the house, the house. And, um, I just remember them being upset with each other. And that was so rare that it, this really is only a one time occurrence for me, but I remember feeling so afraid, like watching that little fight was going to like upset the whole stability of the family and um yeah I was really uncomfortable with it and I don't know how my brother and sister felt but it was again I mean my parents probably had millions of these I just had never noticed because every couple does maybe they had them behind closed doors mostly but for me just watching that one little tiny fight about some sort of trip I don't know what they were fighting about but yeah just I felt a lot of fear and um I don't know. It just really felt like a very unstable situation for me. Yeah, and I think that word right there that you just used, that stability, I think that really hits the nail on the head for kids and their fear of conflict. 
and getting into like conflict with their with their families and seeing it in their families with their parents. I think that kids want to know that there's stability. And for me, it was growing up. It was a couple things. It was um, wanting to know that my my parents weren't going to walk away from each other. You know, I think that was the big thing for me was thinking, oh man, if my parents are fighting, then what happens if they fight and then all of a sudden one of them walks away and says, I want to get a divorce. Like that was, that was a scary reality for me. And, um, and I had felt that when, when my parents would get into conflict. And I think also, like as a kid seeing conflict, my fear would be that someone would get so angry that something really, really bad would happen. Um, not that anyone would get hurt, but, but that somebody would just blow up and they would explode. And so I think even just talking about teens and talking about, um, conflict and, and just confronting them, I think it's important for us to really create a safe place in our homes where not only that, but like understanding how a child or a teenager might be viewing the conflict where us as adults, we understand that you can have a fight. And your relationship still can still be good, but a little kid, I mean, Anthony, you're talking about when you were under the age of nine years old, it looks different for you. You don't know what's going to happen after that conflict. And for me, the conflict, the one time I'd seen my parents fight, I was in middle school or high school, and I was still old enough to think, oh no, this is a really big deal. This is scary to me. And... um. We had talked about earlier just feeling that conflict in general was something that we wanted to avoid as children. We didn't really know how to deal with it. And so as parents and as adults, we have lived enough life that we know that a conflict is not going to necessarily ruin everything. A conflict is not the end of the world, but children and teenagers, they may not feel that way. They haven't lived enough life where they think that everything's going to be okay after a fight. They haven't gone through that many relational issues yet. They don't. They really don't know. So they, the way they perceive things will be different than the way we perceive things as adults. Yeah. So what do you think the most important thing, like let's say we're approaching a conflict or conflict has just happened in our house, what do you feel like is the most important thing that we can do as, as parents uh, to help our kids feel like it, this, this is a safe place. Even though this conflict is going on, it's not going to end in a tragedy. Everything's going to be okay. What do you, what do you think? Maybe, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm well, sorry. Yeah, and I'm not an expert. And yeah. for those of, us, those of you who know us, you know that we are expecting our first child in January of 2018. So we don't even have kids yet. But um, So this is kind of hypothetical. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, we do talk to teenagers a lot and deal with certain things that they go through. And we do talk to them, I would say, a lot about their relationship with their parents. When kids come into our office, a lot of times they come in because things are not going well at home, or they don't know how to talk to their parents about things, or they just had a conflict with their mom or their dad, and they're not really quite sure what to do. And since we're not family, we're a little bit on the outside, but we're kind of more of a safe person because no matter what we say, I mean, we're not, we're not going to always be there. Their parents are going to be there. It's a little less, less stress on that relationship, a less, less risk maybe to talk to a youth pastor than to a parent. Um, so yeah, I don't know what your question was. 
<laughs> I don't know what your question yeah. was, but I'm thinking yeah. uh, the best way to approach a conversation with a teenager in the beginning is to create that safe environment, letting them know that, hey, we're going to have this hard conversation right now, and it's going to be difficult, but I want you to know that no matter how hard this is, I still am going to be here for you. I'm still your mom. I'm still your dad. I still love you. And this is just because we're going to have a conflict right now, just because we're going to ha- maybe have an argument, that doesn't mean that that changes anything, any way that I feel about you or it's not going to ruin our family. Yeah, I don't know. Some, yeah, saying yeah. something like some reassuring thing. Yeah, and actually that was the word that I was thinking of. I was going to just say that. It's just reassurance, right? Like reassurance. Like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Like, we all make mistakes. I still love you. I'm not going anywhere. And I think also, like, you've, you've heard me, because I don't, I don't know if any of our listeners know this, but we actually share an office wall. So I'm on one side of the wall. She's on the other side of the wall. So our offices are right next to each other. And so Laura gets to hear a lot of conflict that happens uh, from her office. She gets to hear me go through conflict with these boys. And I've, I've had some very fatherly conversations, I would say, mm-hmm. not... Not in that, like, I'm, a, you know, their father or, like, some really older father figure to them. I'm just, like, a few steps ahead of them. And, I, I like, I totally get that. But, you know, I think I feel a father's heart for a lot of these younger guys. Uh, and, and one of the things that I find myself telling them is just reassuring them, hey, I'm your biggest fan and I believe in you. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can say to our kids is helping them know, like, hey, I believe in you. I care about you. And I'm your biggest fan. Like, I want to see you flourish. And even though we're we're having this hard conversation, it really is for your good. It's because I care for you. So I think part of that, you know, that reassurance is really letting them know, like, hey, I'm your biggest fan. Like, I'm going to be here supporting you every single step of the way. And it doesn't matter how many times you mess up. Like, I'm going to be here for you, and I'm going to care for you and be your biggest fan. So – uh, for me, I, I find myself really trying to create a safe place and and letting them know those types of things. I remember specifically having issues maybe with my parents or there'd be a disagreement of maybe a rule that they had set. And I would just listen to them, obey them. But in the moment of having that conversation, I didn't know how to voice my own feelings. I didn't know really what I was feeling on the inside I didn't know how to vocalize or process what was going on inside I didn't I didn't know how to think about myself in that moment I think the stress level or the anxiety of getting in trouble just kind of blocked that out but I was thinking about how important it is for us as adults who yes we know that this is going to be a safe conversation the relationship will continue and We also know that we have to teach these younger people who haven't had that experience yet how to have the good conflicts so that in their future they can move forward, not get in huge fights with their friends or their significant other or their boss or their teacher or their coach and teach them how to vocalize their feelings and teach them how to process things, but starting in the home. We We show them how to do that. We show them in the moment how to deal with that sort of stuff that's internal. And I think that's the second thing that is really important. We un- The first one is understanding that our students, our kids, they don't see conflict the same thing, same way we do. 
And number two, the goal of the conflict, a secondary goal at least, can be to help a student or child deal with conflict. And you're going to be teaching them how to do that in the moment as a parent. It's not necessarily about winning or even drilling down that rule that you want them to follow. It's about helping them to understand how to deal with a situation that is maybe stressful or high anxiety in the moment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and it really is like it's a it's a it's a discipleship opportunity, right? It's it's an opportunity for them to see Jesus on display in us, and I think that's really important for sure. And I also want to remind us that like kids, kids don't come out of the womb with good conflict tools. They don't come out of the womb with good emotional intelligence tools. Uh, kids don't know how to process their feelings. They don't know how to communicate their feelings in a healthy way. And so I've seen with a lot of teenagers, and you'll see this, and this is why I think, to be honest with you, I think this is part of why I think high school dating is sometimes can be really, really dangerous because kids have very, very uh, poor communication skills. And so when they get in fights with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, things just blow up. And they get to the point where it gets really, really unhealthy and they end up taking on emotional baggage because of those conflicts with those, you know, their significant others. And I, I saw that in my own life as a, as a teenager. I didn't have those tools. And so um, I, I didn't know how to deal with conflict and, and it ended up putting a, a lot of baggage on me and that I ended up carrying into other relationships and, you know, even into our relationship. Uh, and so it's important for us to disciple our students in in the areas of conflict, in the ways of conflict. And I think, Laura, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but I I, I think I, I really want us to talk about it because we had talked about it earlier. Like helping our students understand it's okay to be hurt and it's okay to be wounded and it's okay to have issues and to have feelings about things. Um, and I think it's our job to help students navigate those feelings and help them understand what they're feeling because – like I said, students don't come out of the womb with emotional intelligence. They have to be taught what they're feeling and uh, how to how to navigate through those emotions. You know what I'm saying? Right. And let's just define emotional intelligence really quickly. Emotional intelligence is understanding how you're feeling, being able to put into words the emotions that you are going through and maybe what the other person is going through, being able to um, maybe – gauge on a radar or on a scale what the emotions are in a room or in a scenario or in a situation or in a conversation even. Um, so that's emotional intelligence. Just having skills, having knowledge about the emotions in the situation. So yeah, I mean, most adults don't even have good emotional intelligence. I take, or I'm reading this book, it's EQ something something. I don't even remember what it's totally called. And it's all about teaching you and how to develop this skill. And I'm, I'm 27 years old, and I'm realizing that my EQ is not that high, um, especially in tense situations. So, of course, a student's t- EQ is not high either. They don't know anything. They don't, and that's, that's where I was at as a teenager. I didn't even know my own self. So to communicate with somebody else and not even knowing how you feel is very difficult. I think it's hard to have conversations with adults as a as a young person, especially. And, and you know, we we had stated this earlier. We when we had conversations with other adults, like as an adult, you know that you're right. 
Like, especially when you're talking to a teenager. Let's be honest. Like, when you're talking to your teenager and you're talking about some sort of, you know, mora- rule about morality or rule about dating or, or, responsibility. Rule, or responsibility or homework or whatever it is, you know that you're right as an mm-hmm. adult. Yeah. Because you right. have years of experience. You got years on this kid. They don't know anything. But I think what's important <laughs> in those conversations is to help students um, – is to help students – Process their emotions. So let's move on to um, the content of, of some of the things that we want to teach today. Um, and so today we want to give you some tips, just some guidelines on on things that might be good in guiding and navigating through conflict or communicating with your teenager. So, uh, Laura, why don't you take us away with number one? Yeah, number one. We kind of already hit on this, but just reiterating that conflict is normal, important, and it's really an opportunity to grow deeper in your relationship with your child or with even your spouse because all these ap- all these tips apply to every relationship. It's not just with a teenager. So just know every conflict that you're going through with your kid is normal. Maybe not the direct situation, but every single parent listening to this has conflict with their kid. And it's not easy for anybody. And it it can be stressful for everybody. And But just know that conflict doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It can be a really, really good thing um, when handled correctly. So let's dive into some ways to handle that. Yeah, and I, I, think, it's, I think that's good. I think what you said was was super good because I know for me and you, like when we've had conflict, some of our closest times, like we felt closest to each other after conflict. And I'm not going to get into a conflict with somebody that I don't care about. Like if I don't care about you, I'm not going to have a conflict with you because I really don't care. Uh, But if I have a conflict with you, it's because I care about you and I want to go deeper in our relationship and I want to work through these things. So conflict really, it is reserved for those that we love and for those that we really truly care about. Uh, and it's an opportunity for us to grow deeper and to go to those deeper levels rather than just kind of, kind of staying at that superficial level. Um, so our, our point number two and our tip number two is never let the volume escalate. That is so important. We can't stress it enough. Uh, one thing that I want to say is is loud conflict is always selfishly motivated. Like, Laura, if I'm yelling at you, all that I'm trying to do is get my point across to you and help you see it from my perspective rather than seeing your perspective. So, like, loud conversation, loud, um, aggressive conflict is always selfishly motivated, and it's only it's only driven out of a desire to be heard rather than to hear. And... Um, so I think that's important to, to take into to context. But also, I, I want people to understand that, that volume, especially high volume, it stifles every bit of good communication. The moment that your conversation escalates from a conversational place to a place where you're yelling at each other, no one is hearing each other. No one is going to be heard. And that's the moment where you just take a step back and you say, you know what? This conflict is getting too crazy. We need to just take a deep breath and we need to walk away from each other for a second. So that's when you take a breather and you say, you know what? We're just going to we're going to let this breathe for a little bit and we'll come back to this uh, later on. Yeah, I love that fact that you told me about the other day that 
when your heartbeat is over 90 beats per minute, which I think resting rate is around 66 to 75, depending on how you're feeling. If it's over 90, your logical thinking decreases. Yeah. So if you're yelling, your blood pressure is probably higher. Your heart's probably beating faster. You're probably getting a little bit more sweaty. Um, and you're going to have a harder time communicating. Your mind is just not there. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just walk away for a couple minutes, collect yourself, and come back to it. Because, I mean, a lot of damage is done when there's yelling involved. Absolutely. And I see that in myself when my heart is just beating. Like, let's say I'm in a really good workout, and I go crazy. All of a sudden, I feel like this roid rage. You know what I'm saying? I don't take steroids. Just the FYI, parents, don't worry. I don't take steroids. But if I'm going crazy in the gym and I'm feeling it, you know, I feel stressed out and I want to throw things around the gym, that's my logical thinking going downhill very quickly. And so, yeah. All right, next point. Um, consider their case against you and be the first one to apologize if you need to. That's really important um, because I think as parents, we need to model humility. I, You know, I, I was even reminiscing about this point the other day uh, as – as uh, Laura and I, we had, you know, we had a, a disagreement and I remember handling it in a, in a very poor way and feeling so ashamed of it. And for me, I, I came to her and I apologized and I felt so terrible about it. And it was important for me in that moment to model humility for my wife, to model it for her and to, to show her like, hey, if I mess up, if I make a mistake, it's okay as long as I come to you and I fess up to it and I... And, and I, I ask for your forgiveness. It's important for us to model humility for our kids. When was the last time your kids saw you apologize for something bad that you did? Um, we know that repentance is incredibly important in the gospel. And when it comes to Jesus, like Jesus, he says that uh, the first step in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who look at themselves and realize that they're in spiritual poverty, that they're bankrupt spiritually. They're the, the people that are humble, and those are the people that are, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it's important for us to model humility for our kids so that they see that. And again, this is a discipleship tool for us. Um, your humility is going to help your kids overcome their future pride, because when they see you humbling themselves, they, they see that example, and they want to be like that and emulate that. Tip number three is the always and never conversation where we would say that always and never when used in a conflict or conversation those are basically swear words um just because nobody acts the same way all of the time so when you label somebody and say every time that you do this or you always treat me like this or you're never on time or you never do this part right you are immediately um putting this label on somebody else that is not true. Um, people never act absolutely one way. And absolutes are damaging and hurtful. They're used um, to put shame on people. I think we have officially gone out of order. So this <laughs> so this is question number, or this is tip number six. This is tip, tip number six. I have counted, trust me, Laura's shaking her head at me in disappointment. No, this is number six, I promise you. I'm right, you're wrong. I can count, oh... <laughs> Just kidding. Baby, when you said that, as we were recording, it made me feel so angry. 
Okay, number six, never say things to manipulate your children. And I know that this sounds like a given, but I think it's important to say, like, you really have to judge the motivations of your heart and really figure out, like, when you say something, is it motivated out of love or is it motivated out of a manipulation to try to get your kids to love you? Um, so I remember certain things like people saying like, oh, you just don't love me anymore. You just don't care about me anymore. You, you've forgotten about me. Like that's, that's a really damaging thing to be saying to your kids. And I want you to remember like as an adult, we have to be the ones that are emotionally healthy because kids are not emotionally healthy. When they come out of the womb, they need to be taught how to be emotionally healthy. And you're the one to teach them that. But when you're manipulating them and when you're saying things like this, it communicates emotional dependence on them. It communicates to them, you just don't love me anymore. And because of that, my world is shattered. Well, is the reality that your world is shattered? Or is the reality that your 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 life comes from Jesus and everything that you are comes from him? Um, I think that's important for us to keep into perspective, that your kids are not your life. They're not, they're not everything, and if your kids are shattered and their worlds are falling apart, they need to see that your world is not falling apart. And that comes from your dependence on the Lord and uh, your loving Jesus. And uh, the last thing that we want to say today is number seven. What? What's up? I see. What's up? Talk to me. Talk to me, baby. Well, just to add on to that, uh, oh, point number six or point number whatever, when we're talking about manipulation, um, other phrases that came to my mind that would maybe fit into the manipulation category would be, if you trusted me, you would listen to me. If you loved me, then you would do this. It's the if-then statements that almost will give be a giveaway when you're talking about manip- manipulation of, um, if you were a good, a better kid, you would act like this. If you were smarter you would have done this something like that where you're trying to inflict harm or hurt or shame or um jealousy even or some sort of emotion in a child or student when you do the if then statements because instead of saying hey i it would be better for you if you would do this and i know that it may feel weird to you but i'm asking you to trust me you can say it that way that's good but you don't need to say, if you trusted me, you would have listened to me in the first place. Like, that's not, that's not right. That's so manipulation. That's, that's putting so many labels on your kid. Um, if you loved me, you would have stuck up for me at that baseball game when that other parent told me this. Or I don't know. I don't even, can't even think of scenarios right now. But um, it's those if-then. Just so be aware of the if-then statements. If you catch yourself saying that. There's most likely manipulation behind that statement in whatever you have to just evaluate yourself in that one. Dang, Pastor Laura, that was good. Girl can preach. That's why we're married. That's Cut why that we're married. Right? No, that was good, baby. That was so good. I'm impressed by you. Ooh, ooh. All right. And Cut then that I'll, commentary out. I'm sorry. No, I ain't cutting that out. People need to see our love People for each other, baby. And number seven is this. Draw your life and identity from the Lord alone. This is this is so vital. Um, and, and I want us to remember that our life, it comes from Jesus alone. Like teens are, are dysfunctional. They're sorting out their life, their identity. 
And it's easy when you live with somebody who's living in dysfunction and figuring out who they are. It's easy for you to get drawn into that place of dysfunction and to communicate like them. But you need to be strong and you need to be rooted in the Lord, making sure that you're not drawn into that place of dysfunction. Because, look, we live our lives hanging out with teenagers. It's literally 24-7 for us. We come to work. We work on campus at a middle school and a high school. And kids deal with things in such ugly ways. We're around that all the time. And so for us, it's important to to be tapped into the Lord and make sure that we're not living in that place of just dysfunction. And just because, you know, students, are their worlds are falling apart, doesn't mean that your, your world has to be falling apart. Like with Christ, your world is in a constant state of life. It's in a constant state of joy. It's in a constant state of love and renewal. And you have to remember that. We've got to remember that. It's so important to, to draw our identity, our, our life from Jesus. Yes, Laura, I see that hand. Go ahead. Yeah, and just even going back to the whole idea of students are maybe emotionally unhealthy, they can say really hurtful things to you. Um, I know that students have said certain things to me that really hurt, or I've been almost caught up in the whirlwind of their communication issues, and maybe it's directed at me sometimes. And so that can be really, really painful. It's not like just because they're younger that their words don't matter, they do matter. And um, what's really difficult as a youth pastor is to remember that I'm not a teenager. (laughs) I don't have to act like they do. And I don't have to be hurt by the things that they're saying. You still have to operate in forgiveness and understanding when talking to teenagers and knowing that they're going to totally say stuff that, like, it'll just kill you inside. And I'm thinking just as a parent, like, being a, being pregnant and expecting this new baby. I have so many dreams for this child and my relationship with this child and what it's going to be like one day and um, a whole f- lifetime of amazing times that are coming up for us and good family moments and I have ideas of what our trust relationship will be like. So I can just imagine the type of emotional hurt that a parent would feel um compared to even a youth pastor, how a youth pastor would feel when a student says something hurtful. But as a parent, to have all those dreams for your kid and your relationship, and then to have them hurt by something that kid says to you in their in their crazy teenage moments. And just understanding that, yeah, your life and your identity really is in Jesus. And um, it's you still have to operate as a Christian, you still have to operate with the love of God that lives inside of you, even though this person is so young, um, because it still hurts. Yeah, it's funny. And sometimes more. Yeah, it, I just absolutely. think it hurts more as a parent. That's it all totally. I'm trying to say. I'm sure it would hurt more as a parent, but even as a youth pastor, it's it's funny how like you want your kids to like you. As a youth pastor, you I want be the cool, kids. Right? Uh, yeah. Is because we hang out with high school kids and so it's it's easy to get drawn into that social dynamic where kids are there's like the cool kids and then the like the kids that maybe are not as cool and then the jocks who everybody wants to be like and so you want to impress people yeah and you you get drawn into that place of like wanting kids to like you and i know as a youth pastor when a kid doesn't like me i'm like why doesn't this kid like me they don't Mm -hmm. care about me right and you it's easy for you to get drawn into that dysfunction and that social dynamic and we as as adults and as parents we've got to be outside of that mm-hmm. knowing that 
our life is is in Jesus and our 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 validation. That's what I our validation comes from Jesus. So let's uh, let's go into a, a little time where we're talking about how like how teens communicate with each other. There's some ugly, ugly uh, communication tendencies with teenagers between each other that I want to highlight real quick. And I see this all the time. I see um, how like sometimes teenagers, even as close friends, when they're just greeting each other, they'll put each other down. Like they say things that are really almost derogatory toward each other. So girls will go up to each other and be like, hey, what's up, slut? And you're like, whoa, whoa. And I know even Laura, her eyes just opened up, but that's how they talk Ouch. to each other. No, it's true. You know it's true. They they call each other names, and they think that those names don't hurt. They think that they're terms of endearment, but they're not. They, they're hurtful, and they're painful. And when when teenagers say those things to each other, it, it, it really hurts them. Uh, so I think it's shut up. I hear them say shut up. Yeah, shut up you're all stupid. the time. I hear them say that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're other. an idiot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's hurtful stuff. And mm-hmm. so we need to call our kids on that and help them understand that their words matter and mm-hmm. the words that they say to each other, they can they can really damage mm-hmm. uh, each other. Um, so another thing, uh, we talked about texting communication. Like a lot of times, kids will try to have fights and communicate with each other over text and text conversations and text conflict that's a no no if you're a parent and you're trying to text your kids about a certain fight or a a certain conflict that you're having with them that is a no no and i'm telling you right now that that will be a fruitless effort because with text message there's no emotion um well you can you can't see their emotion at least you can't see their tone you can't hear their tone you can't see their facial expressions you don't know what's going on you can't read them it's so it's really a lot of things get lost in translation when it comes to text messages. Yeah, and I even think emojis, as much as they've helped us with our context clues and texting, conversational language, whatever, they do help a lot. But at the same time, I've also seen conflicts over text message give the wrong impression. Like it's easier to lie about how you feel through an emoji or through a text message. So it cre- it can be a place where there's almost false communication or students can feel like they're it's easier to lie about how they're really feeling or it can easy it can be easier to um, lead right into maybe passive aggressive conversations just because I'm thinking about certain situations where maybe um, I don't think I don't even think this is teenage related but even for me when I'm having a conflict with no- another person Let's say it's over text message, and I'm actually really upset about it, but at the end, I put a smiley face or a thumbs up, like, it's all good. I'm not actually okay. I'm actually totally lying about how I feel. I'm covering up how I really feel, but through text message, it's almost easier to do that, and it's a lot more dishonest, and I don't think that it's helping any of us. So, um, yeah, it's... It takes a little longer to have that phone conversation or even a FaceTime conversation or face-to-face if you can manage that. 
But um, I would just say as a parent, encourage your kids to not text each other when they have issues. Encourage them just to talk it out real quick. Just, hey, kid, call that person real quick. We're just going to do this right now. Because we don't need to deal with this, these false illusions, these pretenses, and this passive aggressiveness, or even potentially manipulation. All that happens through text message. And um, yeah, it's just not helpful. It's not helpful. It's, nobody's learning anything. And in fact, I think it's more damaging to the individual that's sending the text and the one receiving it. That relationship's not going to do very well. Want to do some news, Laura? Yeah. Let's do some news. Just a random news segment we're throwing into this podcast is just updating our parents as we are done with our um, conversation on conflict for this episode. But we do want to update you on what's going on. So here's our news today. Uh, number one, we have just finished our starting line series, which is a whole series that we have designed around helping students start their school off, uh, their school year off well. And so some of the things we've been talking about, we've been reading out of the book of Haggai, uh, which is, that's a great name, by the way, just throwing that out there. Uh, and it's all about prioritizing God. Uh, in Haggai, it's, it's when the Israelites, they were coming out of um, Babylonian captivity. They came back to Jerusalem. They're trying to rebuild their city, and everything had been torn by the by the Babylonians. Uh, it's been torn down. Their homes, the temple, and all of a sudden, these people they started trying to rebuild their homes. And Haggai was prophesying and telling them that the Lord was saying, "It's not time for you to rebuild your homes. How could you live in luxury when the Lord's house is in ruins?" And so Haggai is, is telling this to the, to the people, and I think there's some great spiritual points here. Oftentimes, we focus on our own lives, and students are definitely those people that are self-focused. They're focused on their grades. They're focused on their schoolwork. They're focused on their future. And in that, they neglect the house of God. And so our first week was all about prioritizing God. And, and I think it's important for us to, to tell our, our parents this year, it's, it's important for you to, to prioritize God for your kids and help them see that God is a priority. And oftentimes I think the scariest thing is when, when parents are taking their kids out of church because of their homework load or taking them out of church because a sport is happening. And, and I think what that shows our students is that sports takes precedence over God. That's really the the, com, the thing that you're communicating to your kids. And, uh, and I know that there's special circumstances. I'm not the guy that says you have to show up every single week without fail for, you know, the whole entire year. I know that there's special circumstances and I get that. But I think it's important that we, we show our students the value of prioritizing God, especially in this area. Uh, and then the second uh, second thing that we talked about in the starting line series was convictions. We talked about Daniel and how Daniel was in Babylon and uh, the conviction uh, that it took for him to stand up as a believer in the midst of a world that was trying to pressure him to become something else. And so we talked about that, and uh, I guess the biggest line that would come out of that was, the battle is won before the battle begins. So we tried to help your students realize that before you even go to the school year, you need to understand who you are in the Lord, and you need to make a decision about who you're going to be this year. Our other 
announcement is about Fancy Night, which is our first invite night of the year. It is September 10th, normal youth group time from 5 to 7. And our idea with invite nights, we'll have these a couple times um, or maybe more during the year. But it's specially designed for students to invite their friends, especially as the school year has just kicked off. We want students to be able to invite new friends from their classes, to come out to youth group, um, get more acquainted with us as youth pastors, their other Christian friends. So fancy nights coming up in a couple weeks, September 10th, 5 to 7 p.m. here at the church. And the only requirements for that night is that every student wears a tie. We're going to be feeding them dinner and having a special guest skits. We've been working really hard on this night. So just wanted to, um, yeah, let you guys know about that and make sure your kids make it out to that. Yeah, they have to wear a tie, but here's what we'll say. The rest of the outfit is up to them. Yeah. So if they want to come casual, let's say they want to come in like sneakers and ripped jeans. It's all good. You can do that. They can do that as long as they wear a tie. So, Dad, if you're out there, make sure you loan your kids a tie. All right. Well, Laura, let's do some lights. Yeah, and our light segment is all about us giving recommendations or maybe anti-recommendations about things that is going on in our lives or things we've heard about, things that are happening in pop culture or in students' lives or just things we want to update you guys about. So, Anthony, what's your first green light for this week? Well, my green light for this week is a quote by Tim Elmore. If you've never heard of Tim Elmore, Tim Elmore is a uh, a man who researches uh, the younger generation. So he researches their values, the things that they like, the uh, how they communicate, all sorts of things. So uh, one of the things that he says in his book, uh, 12 Mistakes That Parents Make, he says this quote. He says, don't prepare the path for the student. Prepare the student for the path. I, I love the paradigm shift that he says. Really instill character, instill values, and help them to navigate through uh, the craziness of life. So that's my green light today. What's your green light, Laura? Um, I actually have two, and I'm breaking the rules right you away. You have two? You can't have two? I have two green lights. Right. I don't really have a red light, so I'm going to stick with two green lights. My first green light is the book Crucial, Crucial Conversations. It's tools for talking when stakes are high, and I've been reading this book for a while. It's taking me a really long time to get through it, um, but it's written by Patterson, Grenny, McMillan, and Switzler. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere. It's just a really good book about conflict. Lots of good stuff in there. My second green light is the subscription to VidAngel. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. But it is a really great program that you can subscribe to online. And it gives you the option to filter out um, your entertainment on TV, Netflix, Hulu. Um, I think they have everything, Amazon Prime. And what they do is when you purchase a subscription, you hook it up to your devices. And you can take out things like nudity. It'll just automatically take those scenes out. You can filter words, like certain cuss words. It's fairly cheap, so vidangel.com. Go ahead and check that out for cleaner entertainment. Are they back? They are back. Are you serious? I'm 100% serious. Yeah, so what they used to do, they were a company that had some legal issues. They got fought by other entertainment industries. I think Hollywood was fighting them, telling them what they were doing was It went to, like, the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, it did. They're filtering. They're a filtering company. And so they were shut down for about six six months. 
And about three or four weeks ago, I got an email saying, we're back, VidAngel's here. It's a little bit of a different program. They used to have you buy movies and then sell them. It was like kind of confusing. But now it seems it's just a subscription. I think it's $7.99 a month, which is about the rate of your Netflix. And it's just a lot safer way for you to watch entertainment with your kids. You don't have to completely shut down certain things. You can still watch um, the content, but it's just a lot cleaner. So yeah, And you can filter out all of the F-bombs, the S-bombs. Out, there are so many things. I mean, you can it's filter awesome. out. They're a Mormon company. So they're pretty yes, strict. thank you, Mormons. My yeah, goodness, they're pretty strict on their regulations, and they're really thorough, um, which is good. And you get to choose what you want to see and what you don't want to see um, on each program. So All check right. that out, angel.com. Brought to you by the Church of Latter Day Saints, uh, which we are not. We are a, a Protestant church. I'm just letting you know. But VidAngel, that's you know, that's the Mormon. All right, cool. So let's go red lights. <laughs> let's go red lights. Um, okay, here's my red light. My red light is the pressure of the Tri-Valley academically on students. That is my red light. Um, we recently had a conversation with someone that, that really broke our hearts. Uh, it was a girl, and she talked about the competition that happens in her school, how kids will actually shame each other uh, if they're smarter than you know another, another person. And, and she said she, she really felt like this deep – this deep competition between her and the people around her. And I, you know, that just breaks my heart. Um, and I see it on students all the time. Like there's such a pressure, especially in the tri Valley, the Bay area being the Silicon Valley, there's a pressure to succeed. There's a pressure to get to the top. There's a pressure to get into the best schools so that you can have the best job. And the thing that I encourage the students all the time to do is, is just take the pressure off. Look, you do the best that you possibly can. You work really, really hard at school and you honor the Lord in it. And from there, you let God handle it. And these students, they're trying to create for themselves the perfect version of what their lives look like. They think that success means going to Cal or going to Harvard or going to Stanford. And they think that only if they do that and they get in the top 1% of their class and get the best job, will they be successful? And that's what this area tells them. And so there's so much stress and anxiety that happens in this generation, especially in this area, that it's, it's really oppressive and it's hard. And, and to be honest, I think, I think a lot of parents in this area put that on their students. And I'm not saying it's you guys, but I, I believe that a lot of parents in this area really put that pressure on their kids and, and I don't know. I think it's it's probably good for us to just reevaluate that and think about that. So that is my red light, the pressure that the Tri-Valley academically puts on. Okay, Anthony. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. If you want, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Valley Christian Student Ministries, and we are there. You can also follow us personally on Facebook, Anthony McLeod or Laura McLeod. And I am also on Instagram at Laura M13 underscore. Yeah, we want to see you on social media. Well, you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Tri-Valley Parenting Podcast. We hope it helped you. We hope it reminded you of a few things. Or maybe you got just one nugget that will help you communicate with your teens better. God bless you. Have a great week. See you later. <laughs>